Tanya and Jeff Benyon talk with Preston Jenkins, who shares his journey as a gay man in a mixed orientation marriage with his wife, Taryn. Preston opens up about the two years of bitterness he experienced after enduring abuse on his mission. He talks about how his mother played a vital role in helping him work through those feelings from a place of love, and how she worked to teach him correct principles. Preston also shares how he and Taryn cultivated a beautiful relationship through intentional courtship. This inspiring episode offers hope, understanding, and guidance for anyone navigating complex challenges while seeking a path of discipleship. All of that and more on today's Voices of Hope podcast. Welcome, everybody. Uh, This is Jeff and Tanya Benyon, uh, your hosts for the Voices of Hope podcast. We're really honored uh, to have with us uh, an alumni of the Voices of Hope project, Preston Jenkins. Hello. Hi, Preston. Uh, Preston, you can watch his uh, Voice of Hope video, uh, which we'll include a link to in in the description of this podcast. But a couple of th- things have happened since we last heard from Preston. Mm-hmm. Uh, you want to update us a little bit? You know, where are they now? You know, this is like the VH1 special we're doing. <laughs> um, well, I'm still in Utah. But uh, no, big things have happened. I, I've gotten married since recording the last video. Um, I've written a book and published you graduated? It. Kind of. Kind of. Oh. <laughs> um, there's more school on the horizon, unfortunately, for me. Um, but yeah, no, things things have changed a little bit. So That's awesome. Uh, let's talk a little bit about, um, let's start with some of the things in your book. But a fun uh, commonality here is um, Tanya was a missionary in Japan. Oh, cool. Was. I didn't know that. Which mission? I was down in Fukuoka. Where were you? I was in Tokyo, but got evacuated to Fukuoka for a transfer and a half. So I served on Okinawa as well. Oh, interesting. Yep. Small world. It is. Yeah, that's cool. I thought you'd think that was fun. It is the best mission on earth, right? I, I mean, I love Japan. Hey, we only got there for a week, year and a half, or a week, month and a half, but still. Yeah. I, I feel like I have a biased opinion, but since I served <laughs> in three mission boundaries, so. Oh, gosh. <laughs> but I think I'm a little uh, biased. <laughs> That's right. So, uh, yes, Preston just published a book called This Boy and His Mother, and uh, it, it talks in, in one sense, it's about your experience with, uh, you know, because there's several books that have come out about uh, gay Latter-day Saints, Saint Latter-day Saints who experience same-sex attraction. But um, I think the book's about way more than that. Agreed. So I, I would hate for someone to, like, put you in the gay Mormon ghetto. This <laughs> book, the, in the gay Mormon ghetto shelf, right? Uh-huh. Uh, because it's, I think what it's really about is um, how uh, our Christ and his angels on both sides of the veil mm-hmm. can help us heal. Yeah. No, and, I, yeah, I go agree. ahead. No, I mean, that's why we added the subtitle of healing from trauma as a gay Latter-day Saint. It's like being gay is just kind of like one ingredient in the pasta. It's not the dish itself. So, yeah, no, the, the main course is you can heal through Jesus Christ. Like, that's the moral of the story. And and it's tough, right? I mean, I don't know. Elder Maxwell used to talk about cheap grace, cheap 
uh, mm-hmm. Cheap Grace. Uh, and it, that's after Dietrich Bonhoeffer's uh, Expensive Grace. And uh, <clears throat> I think, you know, sometimes if we just deal with the surface matters, uh, sometimes some of the ways we talk about it, uh, it can make it sound like it's really easy. Like coming unto Christ and being Christ-like is just this love and we're just going to, and, and that's, that love is love of God is incredible and it is transformative. But I think what your story also tells is Jesus goes there where mm-hmm. it hurts, where you're scared, where it's difficult, where you don't want to go. Yep. He takes you there uh, fearlessly. I mean, we, we could have the fear, but he does not. Yep. Uh, so this this is not just a, a bunch of the, the Preston's story, for those of you who haven't read it, is not a series of pony rides and ice cream parties. No. Uh, and um, but that's that's what I love about the true gospel of Jesus Christ is, uh, you know, we're in this world that's so difficult. And yet uh, we have uh, Christ meets us there. And then can help us. Mm-hmm. Th- that's so important. And, and so I think we can talk about if if Bonhoeffer talked about cheap grace that is uh, just too easy, right? Then uh, we could talk about cheap love, mm-hmm. where it's all mushy, slobbery, teary-eyed, but no saving power, right? It's it's not demanding. It's not difficult. It's not. Uh, it doesn't have to contend with anything. Uh, it, unlike First Corinthians thirteen, you know, this kind of cheap love just closes its eyes and its eyes and pretends nothing bad's there happening, and, and no difficult choices are there. But but the, the example, particularly of your mother, maybe you want to talk. Maybe you want to start there because that's where this all started was with a talk from Elder Holland. So maybe yeah. you want to pick it up there. Sure. So I mean. Real quick, the like kind of overarching story was just I left on my mission, um, was uh, abused by a companion out in the field, had to came, come home early, um, was diagnosed with PTSD, and just my mental health tanked, and I became very hostile towards the church and kind of pulled away from family and the church, and then, and then like the book and the story is uh, is how like I came back to faith and came back to all those things, and my mom was just super influential. Um, in getting me to that point. And then because my bishop was Elder Holland's son, Elder Holland heard about us. And so he shared part of the story in his general conference talk in October 2015. Um, It was called Behold Thy Mother. And at that time, I had re-entered the mission field. I was on my second mission in Atlanta, Georgia, um, finishing my two years. And then yeah, again, my mom was super influential in getting me to that point. So that's kind of like the overarching thing. But again, to your point of like it not being cheap graces, my mom and I had a lot of hard conversations for two and a half years where I, I was, I call it my two-year tantrum where I was pitching a fit. I was very angry and mm-hmm. she would have to deal with that and bear the brunt of my anger and my frustration and also my misunderstandings. Like I would vent about so many things that she would just sit there and let me vent. And then she would say, that's not true. 
And that's all she'd have to say because I, I knew it wasn't true. I just, I didn't want to believe it yet. I didn't want to change yet. Um, so like that, that help that I needed was actually a lot of blood, sweat and tears to get. And it spanned two years. It was a long time. It wasn't yeah, just like, I, yeah. I don't want anybody to get the idea that you're this perfect saint. Even though you're awesome. No, right? anybody that knows me personally <laughs> knows that that is not true. <laughs> and but that's important because, you know, if he can, if he'll reach out, if Christ reaches to you, right, and mm-hmm. there's people around you that think you're worth it, then anybody listening to this, you count too. You don't have to be perfect to mm-hmm. have Christ reach to you. You don't have to be perfect to have uh, your life transformed and renewed. Yep. And I found it to be the case too, that, I mean, we know in the scriptures that God can't dwell with people that are unrighteous. Like he won't hang around people that are unrighteous, but it's been my experience. He checks in often and to see if you're ready to change. And Mm -hmm. that was my experience a lot was like, I would have these moments where it was like, are you ready yet? Nope. Are you ready yet? Nope. And it was like, I, I felt that constant outreach from him. I just kept swatting the hand away because I didn't want it yet. So like, again, two and a half years, I was like, no, I don't want to change. I didn't want to hear it. Mm-hmm. And, but what's remarkable, the two and a half years is on one sense a long time. But another way, uh, there's those of us that have gone longer than that. <laughs> yeah. and, and so an interesting and a key thing for people to understand about your story, Preston, is you suffer from religious PTSD, like Mm -hmm. your source of trauma was, I mean, I hate to say it this way, but there's no other way to say it was the church because you are serving a full-time mission. Uh, You're, you're an endowed Latter-day Saint. You've been called by the prophet, President Monson, right? Mm -hmm. And um, you're on his errand. You're, you've got Jesus's name that you bear and you are verbally abused and sexually abused for months, yep. for, for weeks, if not months, right? Yeah, and the sad thing was is I would I would often sit in the bathroom for extended periods of time just to get away for a bit, and I would read my scriptures, or there were copies of the end sign in there, so it was like reading conference talks. So yeah, all of my like PTSD triggers were like church-related things or mission-related things, or like my garments. I ooh, that was like one of the worst triggers too. And so like for years I couldn't wear them, and yeah. It's kind of like the perfect kill shot. It was like, how can we like destroy this person who loves God and his church? Like, oh, let's make church scary. And yeah, it was miserable for a while. <laughs> and and before that, uh, you you know, you nobody deserves that. And you hadn't done anything to deserve that either. But you'd been a good Latter-day Saint boy, right? At, to that point, you weren't out about your sexuality, but it wasn't like you were promiscuous and doing drugs and all that you were you were you had a testimony uh you believed you acted on that faith and went out on your mission Mm -hmm. and and so but but what's so then what's amazing is um like you said that's a kill shot there's a there's a poet i like uh robert Blyze's name and he's written a book called iron john and in that book iron john he says you are wounded where your gift is. So here, right, you're already really spiritual. You're already really 
gung-ho, right? You're ready to be a missionary. In fact, uh, you know, if, if we put a soundtrack to your book, right, this is where we cue the spooky music. And there's a whole soundtrack analogy we'll come to that I love. But you say, um, near the end of that, for, you okay if I quote parts of your yeah. book? No, yeah. Okay. I try not to spoil it because I want everybody to read it. But near the end of that first transfer, I offered a prayer recorded in my journal that haunts me a bit to this day. Dun, dun, dun. Give it to me, I had written and prayed. I want to be your best, someone you can rely on to help. So give me all you got. My answer came in a way I could not have expected and never would have wished on your first worst enemy to be nope. frank. Yeah. Careful what you wish for. <laughs> <laughs> so... Um, so th then you wrestle with incredible feelings of betrayal. I think you're like me. You know, some of us that go through these uh, some crises like these, and I haven't had anything near what's happened to you. I'm not trying to, when I compare myself, I'm not trying to say that uh, that I'm, I've I dealt with the things you have. But I, I think you and I, when we do have problems, we take it to the top. You know, some people blame their mission president. Some people blame their bishop or their stake president or the prophet or the apostles. No, you and I, we just take it right to the top and we get mad at God. You're right. It was really funny. I skipped the abuser. I skipped my mission president. I went right to God and was like, this is your fault. Like, what's your problem? Why'd you do that? Yeah, because mm -hmm. I felt like he set me up. Like, you're the one that inspired an apostle to send me there or an apostle to send me there. You're the one that... Put me there that trend yeah i was uh went right to god and pointed a lot of fingers at him so i so i want to go to you know because that's the perfect excuse right that that is the preamble to every ex-mormon story in fact you've got a better one than most that i've that i've read right <laughs> uh so uh but you didn't you did you did step away you did stop wearing your garments. You did stop reading your scriptures. Your mom even tried to read with you. And yeah, you had your, your tantrum and it didn't work. You didn't go to church for a while. Yep. So you were all there. Uh, and, and I love this. I want to come back to it. But, but there's this wonderful metaphor that uh, your mom came up with. Mm -hmm. uh, again, I'm going to read from your book. Okay. Mom later told me that she realized at that moment that I was dead like Lazarus. And just like with Lazarus, reanimation would come from the living, the faith of the living, Mary and Martha, not the dead, meaning yourself, because mm -hmm. you were in, in many senses of the word, emotionally and spiritually pretty dead. Yep. This became a code mom and her siblings used for behind the scenes efforts to raise me from the dead. At the time, I was completely aware of the combined uh, Mary and Martha prayers of faith. Yeah, I was unaware of them. Yeah, th yeah, they didn't tell me that they were doing that. Probably because I would have been very angry with them if I had found out. Yeah. And so then you talk about how you came out of that tomb, right? And uh, yep. yeah, there's another one here where you're, you're still mad at God. And uh, I, I didn't write down who this was, but somebody's saying, God loves you. No, he doesn't. Mom does. <laughs> well, that's God's love, he countered. No, I snapped. It's mom's love. If he loves me so much, he can come express himself rather than plagiarizing someone else's love. 
So don't again. There's there's warts and all in this book, folks. And uh, you know, Preston's clearly angry here. Oh yeah, that one was with the counselor. Yeah, he was like, <laughs> "Mom's love is God's love," and I was like, "No, it's not." And I, I called my mom afterward. I was like, "Can you believe this? This is so ridiculous." And yeah, she so says, "Do you think I have enough love for you for this?" Preston, I love you because I love God and he loves you. I'm just trying to love you like he does. Your mother's love was a reflection Mm -hmm. and a vessel through which God ministered to you. Yep. And I I love that. Yeah. And that's something that we all can do, right? Like we're not asked to be perfect yet. That's the goal, right? That we're striving for. But in Mm -hmm. the meantime, your job is just to be clean so that he can work through you. There's all Mm -hmm. kinds of metaphors, right? There's like a crystal or a prism or a channel or a tube or whatever. Pick your metaphor. Your job is just to be clean so his love and work can pass through you uninhibited. And my mom was really good at it. She really focused on being clean and worthy so that she could be, again, like you said, the vessel for me receiving and feeling that love from God. Yeah. Then there's your brother, your next oldest brother, who, uh, you know, you'd you talked about how it irritated. Maybe you can explain why it irritated you so much when people would say, Christ knows what you're going through. <clears throat> and then what he how he was inspired. Sure. Yeah. So I, I'm the second of, of nine. So my older brother. Oh, Trev- your older brother. Right. That's right. Mm-hmm. He he was the one that like took note of me saying this a few times in front of him. But I, I, when you're going through hell, you start to realize what like parroted catchphrases at church don't mean anything, like, meaning like they're powerless. Like Jesus knows what you're going through was one of the things that I would hear, which it's true, but it felt powerless. It was like this, that doesn't do anything for me. I am still miserable today. Like I, and then I got this mistaken idea of like, I was projecting my problems onto him. So like, Jesus knows what you're going through. Like, Oh cool. I don't want to be alive. So you're saying I'm making Jesus not want to be alive. Awesome. I feel great about myself. I'm so happy. I'm making him. Right. I'm adding to Jesus's burden, right? If he feels what I'm feeling now, there's two people that are miserable. Yes. And so I was like, cool. You're not helping with that phrase. Like that's not making me feel better. Um, and so my, my brother Trevik called me one day and, and he was emotional when, when I answered the phone and, and I was so mean. Like, I remember being just really short with him. I was like, what are you crying about? Like, what do you want? And I just remember him just saying like, Hey, like I've thought about like why that bothers you. I've, I've been praying about it. I've taken it to the temple a few times. I fasted. Like I'm trying to understand why that bothers you so much. And he's like, I had a thought, like, what if, what if instead you thought about it in the reverse rather than Jesus knows what you're going through? Don't you now know some of what Jesus went through for you? Do you see what he carried for you? And I I don't know why, but it, it totally changed my perspective. Like something clicked that wasn't clicking before and it made Jesus Christ a person to me. He stopped being an idea at that point in my life and finally became a person that I could have a relationship with. And I realized like the atonement isn't going to help me like that. That's not, that's not what it's for. Like the atonement helps Christ. The atonement was an event Christ performed something he went through so that he, a person could turn around and help me. 
And so it just, I, I don't know, like I, I could go on for a long time about that principle, but it just, it made him real to me. There was like, wow, I want to get to know this person. Like who would step into this and carry this with me? Like what crazy person like willingly steps <laughs> into this pain just so he can help, just so he can help me become somebody better for it. Like, like I need to get to it. And again, like nothing immediately changed in that moment of my circumstances. Like I was still depressed, still angry, still not going to church really. Um, but my perspective started to shift so that in the coming months, I started paying attention more every time Christ was mentioned. I started paying attention to the feelings that I was having about him. Because there were some changes was, happening to you that you wouldn't have admitted to. Yeah, no, I wasn't. And tell you may, maybe didn't even recognize much at the time, but wheels were starting to turn. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's something all of us need to remember if, if we're not seeing that in, in some loved ones. But, but back to your Trevix point is that's, that's so important. Uh, you know, it's, you, you get into, you know, why did this happen? Why did God allow this to happen? Uh, ultimately, um, it turns into an invitation and the invitation is into deeper union, deeper relationship, deeper kinship, deeper friendship with Christ. It's an invitation to knowing Christ's heart. Uh, I remember once I, I was going through something uh, and not at all as bad as what you went through, but still a, 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 terrible, <laughs> a terrible betrayal and pain and loss and, um, I felt, I felt Jesus enter my heart saying, this is me wanting to helping you get to know me better. Mm. This is, this is me inviting you deeper into my heart. And that's where we all want to be. That relationship is more important than any other relationship. That's hard for people to believe or understand who haven't experienced it. Mm-hmm. But I think uh, Tanya and I, and you can all testify that that's true. Well, and again, there is the power. Like Jesus knows what you're going through didn't do anything for me, but thinking about it in the reverse unlocked the power of that relationship. Like, and and again, it's if you don't know, you don't know. Like if people don't understand it and haven't experienced it, they this will sound weird or strange to them. But there is a compensating power, compensatory power to a mm-hmm. relationship with Jesus Christ that you will have the strength you need. You will have the the healing that you need or fill in the blank. Like again, he can do all of those things for us and it's powerful. Yeah. Let's talk about another one of your brothers, uh, Daxton. Uh Uh, You talk about in the book, how he kind of physically foreshadowed your emotional and spiritual uh, healing and wounds. So maybe yep. you want to talk about that a little bit. Sure. Yeah. So again, I'm, I'm the second of nine. And so uh, my older brother, Trevik and I were out on our missions when Daxon was born. Um, so that's how like big the age gap is between all of us. But Daxon was born fine after a really rough pregnancy for my mom. But then it, he was two weeks old when he had a, a massive brain hemorrhage and it like created scar tissue in his brain. Long story short, like his brain doesn't drain cerebral spinal fluid like it's supposed to. It, it builds up and pressure on the brain is is deadly if it yes. lasts too long. And so 
they had to install what's called a shunt. So they drilled a hole through his brain and installed this instrument that drains the fluid for him. They're really temperamental. Um, so like if you start to exhibit symptoms of a malfunction, you have to treat it like it is a mal- like you have to go to the hospital and check it out. And so um, that was Daxton's cha- like babyhood. I don't know what to call that, but like when he was a baby, like that's what it was. Yeah. And um, just as he would go through all these tests and all these procedures, and he's had multiple brain surgeries over the years, and um, he did occupational therapy multiple times to like recover from these surgeries. And it's just he would go through something physically right before. I would need to confront something spiritually and emotionally. And so it became a great visual. I'm a very visual learner. So I could totally see him and God being like, your your brother Preston needs some visuals. Like, let's get you down there into that family. So like he can have a visual example of what I need him to do. Because that, it was, it was visuals of like, okay, wait, if Daxton just did this to get over his brain surgery, I need to do the same, but emotionally and spiritually to get over my issues that I need to heal from. And so it just, and, and there's multiple examples of that, but that was kind of the the overarching principle of what was happening is he would go through it physically and then teach me how to do it spiritually and emotionally. Well, and you talked about how, um, you know, especially when he was very young, they couldn't explain to him why he was being hurt. Yeah. Right. And this is a, a parent, any parent has this heart wrenching times when they, you have to do things sometimes to your child or allow mm-hmm. things to happen to them for their own good, but they're not in a position where they can comprehend. And so they'll sometimes look up at you with these eyes that say, why, why are you doing this to me? You know, and you just, it cuts you to the heart. Yeah. Uh, and some of those things need Daxton needed to happen for him to survive and thrive. Mm-hmm. Uh, it reminds me of a friend of mine, uh, told me, he calls it the parable of the water park because, um, his son was in the tub having a good time playing and, but they were all scheduled to go to the water park. The whole family was going to go to the water park. Mm -hmm. And so he pulls the plug on the tub and his son starts screaming because he wants to keep playing in the tub. And, Uh but his son's too young to understand, no, we're going to, there's going to be water slides and squirt things and wave pools and all this fun. You're going to have so much more fun if I can get you out of this tub. (laughs) Uh, and so there's there's that metaphor sometimes for us yeah that that we have to remember um the other thing that i think is interesting about daxton's experience and yours is i've noticed that uh some people when they're in emotional problems especially depression or a faith crisis it's actually really hard to see outside yourself And when you do, it's often is a comparison, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, Neil Maxwell once said, we shouldn't compare crosses. Only Christ can do that. Uh, And something I'll tell my couples is they'll say, uh, I'll say, don't compare. Oh, well, you have a heart. I have a harder than you and you don't understand because when somebody will say something's difficult, they can, an easy way to dismiss it is to say, oh, that's nothing because you Mm -hmm. did this to me and that's way worse. That yep. might even be true. Often it is, but that creates distance, right? Mm-hmm. And so uh, I, I say when we compare pain, we get more pain. When we share pain, we get less pain. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so my question for you, Preston, is you were able to identify with Daxton, even though 
he's not gay. Mm -hmm. He's not been sexually abused on his mission. He hasn't even been on a mission yet. He's has nothing to do with you. You were still able to identify him, right? I just made the comparisons. There's all kinds of things you can compare yourself to and say, I'm different and it doesn't apply. Mm -hmm. Somehow you were able to identify. Yeah. I, I don't know how to like trace it to its origin. I mean, I, I know part of it was my mom sharing insights that she was gaining from observing all of these um, experiences with Daxton. And I know part of it too was the whisperings of the Holy Ghost. Like I know it was pressed upon me multiple times by the Holy Ghost. Pay attention to what your brother is doing. You have something to learn here. But it is, it's, I don't know the word for it. It's like this aspiration of like, I need to be like them. Like it's recognizing like, it's not a comparison of like, I'm trying to create a distance. It's a comparison of like, I want to be like that. And I can, like I'm capable of changing to be like that. And, but I don't know the word for that. Like I was inspired <laughs> by him. I, I don't know yeah. what to call it, but it's just, I, I wanted to be like him. He demonstrated so much strength of character that I lacked that I was like, shoot, I can do this too, though. Like, let me put forth my own effort and self analysis to like, mm -hmm. I don't know, like become self-aware of like what I need to work on. And God's very involved in that process. Of course, if our goal is to become like Christ one day, he's going to help us um, as we strive yeah. to stretch our character. So, but but it reminds me of um, shortly after we were married, uh, Tanya told me, "I don't feel like I fit in at church," and I said, "Whoa, whoa, whoa! You're not allowed to say that. I'm the one that has same-sex attraction. I'm the one that's gay, right? I'm the only one that's allowed to not fit in." Mm -hmm. And if I might offer something to our fellow Latter-day Saints who experience same-sex attraction or identify as LGBT is it's easy to dismiss other people, right? Like my wife is a widow. She can talk about this. She can talk about why she didn't fit in, but we can look at that and say, oh, that's different, right? Because there's people who are heterosexual that are single, and that is a different experience than those of us that, are, that have this uh, same-sex attraction and are single, Mm -hmm. And yet there are also some similarities and we can support each other in those similarities. I, I'm a part-time marriage and family therapist and I sometimes have uh, uh, young people who come and they say, well, my parents can't understand me because I'm gay and they're straight. And I, and that's true. There's some parts that they won't understand, but there's a lot they can. Yeah. They know what unrequited love feels like. They know what being misunderstood feels like. They know what being different feels like. Yep. And so often we create more problems for ourselves when we feel like we're special and unique, even though we are, right? That's yeah. true. That's part of the beast well, of it. We all are. And there's a silly idea that's current where like you can't fully represent me unless you are just like me in every way. And, yeah, and it ends up being so isolating. Yes. Because unless like, you're a left-handed uh -huh. I mean, fill in the blank, right? Like, they'll have right. a full list of like, you need to meet all of the following requirements before you have anything to say to me of value. And it's like, whoa, like we all, I, like something that helped me was realizing that everybody usually gets to the same place, but from different, different angles, different reasons. Like mm -hmm. and it doesn't help, like you were saying to compare, like I, this is more of a visual, but it's like, if you think about all these different ways you can come to a single point, Mm -hmm. um space it's just like 
your dog dies, your dad leaves, you're sexually assaulted on your mission, um, your mom berates you, or like what, like whatever your experience right. is, we all come to that same feeling of betrayal or loneliness or sadness. And that's why it doesn't matter how you got there. We're all feeling the same thing. So let's talk about how Christ can help us overcome these things. Like, but to say like, oh, like your dog died. Like, that's why you're sad. Like that's so not appropriate. And it's also not appropriate to be like, oh, why am I feeling so bad that my dog died? Like his dad left. Like I shouldn't be. It's like, no, stop comparing. It doesn't matter Mm -hmm. what got you to that point. The point is Christ is the only one that can help you get out of there holistically. So quit comparing. (laughs) It doesn't matter. Start identifying. Yes. Yeah. Start identifying those common feelings, uh, those common experiences. Yeah. Were you going to jump in there, Tanya Lee? No, I'm good. Okay. Uh, You and your mom played a game and I love this game. Real or not? It's called Real or Not. Yep. Tell us about that. Um, so it, we actually got it from a book series that we loved. Uh, it was the Hunger Games series. Oh, yes. Uh-huh. <laughs> like, I, I loved that book series because it's a first-person perspective, and the character and a few other main characters all have PTSD. And so I was like, Mom, if you want to understand like what I'm going through, like you need to read this. Well, in the last book, one of the characters has like extreme PTSD, And the group plays a game with him called Real or Not Real, where he would present an idea or for him, it was like a memory, like, did this really happen? And they would tell him if it was real or not real, because they were the the healthy, grounded people. And so it it took him trusting their answers. And it also took them being willing to say something, even if they knew it was going to upset him. And so my mom and I started to play that game of like, I would say something of like, God set me up on my mission. And my mom would say, not real. Like that is not the God I worship. I He would not be the type of person to set you up for failure. Um, and I didn't always respond very gracefully <laughs> to the things she would say, but it was a very important game because true. I, I am a, I will go to my grave screaming this from everybody, every rooftop I can find. And that is truth sets you free. Um, the truth did more to heal me than, than, anything else. And I had to learn to believe a lot of truths that I knew. It's one thing to know it. It's another thing to believe it and act like you know it. But that game helped me establish some of those like key truths that I just, I I had to accept if anything was going to happen for the better. So real or not real, it's very helpful. And again, I had to trust her because she had the more grounded perspective at the time. I did not. So like, I I couldn't trust my feelings. That's why I had to rely on an outside person's help. And there's an interesting, um, I'd love that idea. We talk about, we don't talk about this enough in mental health, but in mental health, we have this concept called reality testing. Mm -hmm. And that is the same idea is what you're saying true. Is it real? And uh, I, I will sometimes ask my clients or ask myself, you know, if I'm thinking something, if I'm wallowing in self-pity or, or whatever I'm doing, I'll say to myself, is it true? Yeah. And I'll ask my clients, is that true? Oh, I feel like I'm a failure. I feel like, and I'll say, is that true? Or is this an arrow that is that has been sent to you by the adversary or by the fall? 
or by the sin of others or our own sin, mm -hmm. some lie that we've allowed to be lodged right there in our heart. I, I think that's what the fiery darts of the wicked are, really. Uh, but if we believe those lies, then um, then then we um, then we really limit ourselves, and we often well, damage ourselves. So we we sometimes we, test it in ourselves, or as you did, use somebody else you trust. Yeah. Well, and if you think about it, the organ of creation is your mind. I mean, that's what creates things is your brain. And if I can convince you that's of something that's not true, well, you'll wreck yourself. Like all Satan has to do is just plant a simple idea of like, like, for example, what you gave your failure. It's like, oh, well, that's all he has to do. Then his job's done. I'll take over from there and wreck myself with that thought. Um, so yeah, like just learning that faith is an act like it that's how you flex your brain to its full capacity is using faith and that's something that happens in your mind that you start to talk like and then you start to act like and again there's the power is when all three of those are in harmony with each other and yeah i had an experience this this was last year um at the beginning of the year i caught myself in a like a negative self-talk cycle like i was berating myself pretty pretty good i was just like you suck at this i can't believe you did this I'm like why didn't you do this and i just but i caught myself pretty quickly because i was like wait a minute this is pretty negative self-talk this is totally something that satan would be saying to me right now and so i'm very visual so i just i imagined satan was standing in front of me saying all of those things and i knew that if i prayed and called upon Christ that Satan wouldn't stick around because they hate, he hates Christ. And so I said a prayer and I just imagined that Christ came and stood next to me and we just watched Satan walk away, but we didn't look at each other yet. We were just watching him walk away. And I'll never forget the feeling that I got was Christ just said, he's right, you know? And I remember being like, oh, I know. <laughs> like, I know. <laughs> but then he looked over at me and he said, do you want to hear all the stuff he didn't tell you though? Mm. and it was oh it was such a good reminder that like satan will only tell you half truths we're intimately aware of our weaknesses and our shortcomings oh, yes. and our sins and satan would have us hyper focus on them when christ would say yes you sinned now let me help you be clean and let me help you be better so you don't want to do that again and christ will tell you the whole truth he'll he'll ground you in reality like uh, and I needed that reminder. And I've thought about that experience a lot since then, because it's like, wait a minute, is this the whole truth? Is this, or is this a half truth? I need the whole truth. Yeah, that's really important because you're right. Satan doesn't often tell out and out lies. They're usually partial truths yep. uh, or distorted they don't stick truths. if they're too far-fetched. Yeah, you won't accept we'll them if there's them. no basis in reality. Yep. Yeah. Uh, so one of my favorite authors is M. Scott Peck in a book called Road Less Traveled. And he talked about how we, we want to avoid reality, right? That is it real, like your game you played. And he said, we come to health when we'll say, this is my problem and it's up to me to solve it. Mm -hmm. So many times we seek to avoid the pain of our problems by saying to ourselves, this problem was caused by other people or by social circumstances beyond my control. And therefore, it's up to other people or society to solve this problem for me. It's not really my personal problem. And 100%, you would be justified in saying all that about mm -hmm. what happened to you, Preston. Yep. Uh, but uh, he says a lot of our mental illness is 
maybe caused or at least perpetuated by our failure to take responsibility mm-hmm. uh, or take too much responsibility for other people, right? That's the other extreme we can go. Uh, and so anyway, do you have any comments on that? Yeah, no, I, again, truth sets you free. I love that scripture because that, that was one of the like responsibilities I took on. Like it got to a point in my healing where it was like, so again, that two year tantrum that I had after my first mission, it reached a point where I was like, okay, yes, bad stuff happened to me, but like, it's been two years I'm making this worse at this point. Like it is now my job to heal if I want to heal. Like this is nobody else's. I've been wallowing in in this muck for two years. Like it isn't time to get up and learn something from this. And so it became a, a quest of like, what don't I understand? And taking my faith and my testimony into my own court. Like it's now my responsibility to learn these things. And again, there was the power. That's when the power started unlocking is taking responsibility for all of those things. Yes, I was but gay. But doesn't it so sound I... like we're blaming the victim here, Preston? You're not supposed to do that. We're not supposed to blame the victim. Well, not for like the event, of course, right. but for your life. Yeah. Like I haven't seen my abuser since that transfer of my mission. Like it's time to let him go and take control of my own life. And, right. and more than like, What's interesting is like the abuse, like, yes, that was hard to overcome, but there were other things that it unraveled in my life or revealed in my life that needed to be confronted. And so again, it's like, yes, I was gay, but now it's my time and my responsibility to learn everything I can about that. Like, yes, I've been sexually assaulted, but now it's time to learn everything about PTSD and how it's treated. And so, I mean, I... I would read anything I could find about PTSD. I would read anything I could find from the church about same-sex attraction and marriage and family because that was the doctrine that I needed to understand better. Um, So I just, it became then like a quest of like what doctrine or what topic, if I understood it better, would fix this issue that I'm wrestling with. And so again, to your point, I had to take responsibility. Nobody else was responsible for my testimony and knowledge. I had to be the one to put in the effort and learn those things. I I love this quote though. You involved you involved others like your mom we've talked about and your dad was awesome too. Mm-hmm. But here you say sometimes it helped to picture with my mind's eye a council gathered around a table. Mm-hmm. Anxiety, depression, which were things you were struggling with. Mm-hmm. My natural man and sometimes Satan were always showing up to the table uninvited loudly giving their opinions on any given circumstance. But if I tried to invite the Godhead to the table, things went much better with their Im- their input. A simple image, but this idea helped me make sense of my many clashing thoughts and feelings. Again, bringing that truth mm-hmm. and that source of truth into you. There's no way you could have done combat with all those cacophony of voices in your head. Uh, it's too overwhelming for anybody. Yeah to say no to this and yes to this, but to bring those all-powerful Godhead voices to the table. I thought that was neat. Yeah, and again, they're individuals. We That's something unique and beautiful about our doctrine in this church is that they're individuals and we can have individual relationships with them. While they are yeah. perfect in their character, they're different from each other and, and offer their unique 
power to the table too. Like, again, I needed all of their help. <laughs> it took all three of them. And, and we get all three of them. We're invited into that, right? Be ye one as we are one, Jesus mm-hmm. says about the Godhead. And I, somebody pointed this out to me today uh, in a book I was reading. Uh, we're baptized. Have you ever thought we're baptized in the name not just of Jesus, right? We're commissioned, the person baptized is commissioned of Jesus Christ, but he's acting in the name of who? Father. Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. And it's interesting that the two most important ordinances are done in the name of the Godhead. A sealing ordinance is also done in yes. all three of their names. One gets you into the celestial kingdom, one gets you into the top tier of the celestial kingdom. And it's like, that's, I don't think that's on that uh, by, uh, so, by like coincidence yeah like you know, it's a very I think, yeah i think we're being invited into that unity of the godhead mm-hmm. uh as baptism is like the gate there and then the sealing ordinance might be a figure and a symbol of that too here's something else you say faith in christ did not require me to perfectly understand so that i could believe but rather believing in simple statements of truth yielded greater understanding. And then you cite Alma 32, verses 26 through 28. Mm -hmm. So my question for you there is, are you saying belief is a choice? Yes. I I kind of made a passing comment earlier in this recording that just because you know something doesn't mean you believe it. Um, There is a difference between knowing truth and believing it. And belief is the powerful part. Because again, belief at least in a doctrinal standpoint, connotes action. You can know that the church is true and not act on that and therefore yield little power in your life as a result. Um, And I think another interesting principle behind that is learning by faith requires belief and obedience. God has never promised understanding to disobedient children. He only promises further understanding to those that are already living it. And so I had to start living to the truths that I already knew if I expected to get more truth. And there, again, I could ramble, I could ramble on about that one. It's a mercy. Like he's not going to teach us things that we aren't going to live because then we're responsible for them. And so he, he holds back until we show that we're ready and willing for the next layer and this is a life cycle, right? I mean, we we all go through this throughout our whole lives. Like when we're ready for the next layer and we're striving for it, then we're given it. And we can live those higher laws over time. But Yeah, I, I almost think we're 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 incapable of understanding certain truths if we're not living it, right? If if you would know my doctrine, do my will. I, I don't know if we don't do his will, if if we can even understand it on any level. I think we're and that's incapable. why at least in the Book of Mormon, they're called the mysteries of God. Mm-hmm. Mysteries because they're secret. Mysteries because you won't get it if you're not living it. Like it's not gonna make any sense to you if you're not even putting in an effort to live it. <clears throat> Which is like Poor Nephi is like whole speech to his brothers over and over again. It's just, <laughs> if you would just live this, maybe it would make more sense to you, but you right. don't live it. So hence you have no idea what dad was talking about. So speaking of the next step, um, at some point, so you're home, uh, you know, people can read the book, but, but you don't really share what happened to you until a while after you got home. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, and then and again, that's really typical in abuse. If, if anybody's mm-hmm. listening, uh, uh, you know, you, the, the abused person takes on a lot of shame and, and their abuser really does a, a head, head job on you mm-hmm. that, that you just uh, feel it's your fault and you can't talk about it. So, but you finally do and you go through all this process. Well, five years later, um, you're supposed you're supposed to go back out on a mission. Now, again, if we're going to look at this a little bitterly, you'd earned a release, Preston. <laughs> Right. So why did you, why did the Lord want you to go out? Why did you have to go back into the belly of that beast? That's cruel. Um, honestly, my bishop had the same reaction. He was like, wait, why are we doing what? <laughs> like you're honorably released. Like, why are we going back out there? And I'm like, it wasn't my idea. It was not my idea. I had no intention of finishing a mission. I used to say you couldn't pay me to go back out. Yeah. So like I, I had no, it wasn't even on my mind. I, I wasn't even on my mind. Didn't think it was a possibility, but I had a really beautiful, sacred and powerful spiritual experience where two, two important things happened. One, I felt like I needed to go finish my mission. Like I felt absolutely clearly from God, you need to, if it's possible, you need to do it. And with that, a gift. Like he literally, it, it was literally handed to me what I had lost. And that is a love of teaching the gospel. Like I mm. forgot what it felt like to want to tell people about it. Like this love for missionary work was handed back to me in a day. And that was a miracle. Um, so it's like, I, I knew I had to, but I also had that love back that I had lost for years. And so yeah, had to jump through a few hoops for about a month, and then I was back in the field. Like it, it happened really quick. Wow, wow, and and so again, it, it it's back to those eyes of faith thing, because on one hand we could say that's so unfair to ask Preston to go back there, but what I think I heard you just say was in taking that step, that leap of faith, and of course responding to that inspiration you got, you were given back much of what you lost. He compensates us. I love that um, talk. That doctrine of compensation from Elder Hales. Hales. Or, Orphan, yeah. Orphan, yeah. That God yeah. will compensate you for every loss a hundredfold. And yeah, compensation also, almost isn't the right word. It's it's yeah. more than it's more than like oh, it's like not like a makeup exam or it's not like a mm-hmm. a turtle wax uh, consolation prize, right? It it's it makes up and then some. Yeah. Even if we don't get exactly that thing. That we well, lost. And Elder Maxwell and S. Michael Wilcox, he's a gospel scholar, they they call them um, like holding places, that God carves these holding places in our soul that later become filled um, and overflow. And so it's like a lot of times God's just digging wells in our souls and then the water gushes out later. But uh, it hurts abominably at the beginning. <laughs> um <laughs> Yeah, but it reminds agree. me. Like, on paper, it was a really bad idea. It was a really bad idea on paper. And yet I trusted the person asking it of me because he has a much better vantage point than I do. Yeah. And people can read in the book. It wasn't like everything was magic wand was waved. Yeah. You dealt with anxiety. Yeah. You had some PTSD triggers. You mm-hmm. had some depression. You still had that fastidiousness where you felt 
to you felt every kind of correction or every kind of thing to help you get better. There was a point where you took that all personally. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, it's really great when we can get to a point where we can accept that correction and welcome it. But it, but it's hard to not take it personally. Yeah. Your, your digging wells reminds me of a poem uh, called Victory and Defeat by Edwin Markham. And I did want to read it to you because your book had me think of it. Okay. And, and it also goes to people because what I've noticed is a lot of people who come home early from missions, they all have this wound around it. And, I, and it's interesting because I don't think anybody else cares. I really don't, uh, especially after a couple of years, right? It's awkward when you're home and all your friends are out. I get that. Yeah. But they seem to carry this wound for a lot longer. Mm-hmm. when nobody else cares or notices or thinks about it, but they feel it. Uh, and so I dedicate this poem to you and them. <laughs> this is, but Edward Markham wrote this. Defeat may serve as well as victory to shake the soul and let the glory out. When the great oak is straining in the wind, the boughs drink in new beauty and the trunk sends down a deeper root on the windward side. Only the soul that knows the mighty grief can know the mighty rapture. Sorrows come to stretch out places, spaces in the heart for joy. Uh, and uh, you talk about that in your own, where that sorrow was filled with joy. And your joy was, could only be that large and that great because of that sorrow that had previously occupied that. Yep. And, and so if you've suffered a loss, if you've suffered a defeat... Yeah, it hurts, but you will know some things uh, that other people won't. Uh, a friend of mine was telling me about, he was uh, helping this missionary who got home from Italy mm-hmm. and he was pretty angry. He served the full time, but he really felt like he wasted his time. Nobody wanted to hear what he had to say. Nobody was interested. Why did he have to do that? And my friend was so wise and he said, do you think the Lord could use people that have learned to stick through it, even when the results aren't apparent? Hmm. Do you think that the Lord needs someone who will stick to it, even when they're not getting accolades and praise and results, you know, according to that, uh, according Hmm. to some measurement? Uh, There's there's purpose and meaning in some of those things. And so that there can be defeat and there can be victory, that victory and defeat. So... Hmm. Yep, I agree. When I love this too. Uh, for those that maybe our calling is to help people like this, you have this beautiful piece here. When we mourn with those that mourn or are accompanied in mourning, we draw out a very real poison from an actual spiritual wound. Physical wounds must first be cleaned, a sometimes painful process before ointment and a bandage are applied. So it is with our spiritual wounds. Sometimes we must painfully prepare to be made whole. This is where I say your story is not just pony rides and ice cream parties. Mm -hmm. This hurts when Christ took you back over and over to your wounds and some that predated your abuse, right? Mm -hmm. You weren't, you had, you had stuff that brought and Christ isn't finished with you even yet, of course, as you know, but he goes there and as quick as we're willing, he will. The process is called mourning and it, and sometimes we must painfully prepare to be made whole. That process is called mourning. And it is a spiritual gift and an act of hope, right? That's so key for people to understand. Mourning is hopeful. 
mm-hmm. as opposed to wallowing in grief and self-pity, which we can yeah. do, but that's different yeah. from mourning, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, comforting those that stand in need of comfort is more like applying a bandage. I was not ready for comfort that night. My wounds were infected and needing cleaning. Comfort came later the same week during personal studies that recorded and reflected on the occurrence. So sometimes that healing is sharp. Sometimes it hurts. It's Mm -hmm. not always pleasant. Yep. And anybody who's practiced any sort of medicine usually understands that. Sometimes you have to make a cut before you can Uh help somebody heal. You said this. One piece of recurring advice I gave to church leaders was this. Believe this gospel applies to everyone. Mm-hmm. So uh, let me uh, play advocate for that other guy for a minute, because sometimes I'm... I'll hear people say, I've heard it twice in the last month from good believing Latter-day Saints even, and they say, I know that the gospel is true for me. Mm-hmm. And I know that this is what I should be doing, but the gospel doesn't work for everybody. Some people are called or inspired to have different paths in the gospel. What's your response to that? Inspired by who? <laughs> um, <laughs> um, nobody that I care to listen to, that's for sure. Um, what I say to that is wake up to your pre-mortal experiences. Like, sorry, you don't have this um, luxury of ignorance anymore. There's no argument or, or main conflict on earth that did not start in heaven before we came here these issues of sexuality and of gender and of identity and of are you following God or not? These aren't new arguments. We've been arguing them for millennia. And that that was Satan's game from the beginning. Father presented his plan and Satan said, nah, I'm out. And he went about convincing a lot of our siblings to, to exclude themselves. Mm -hmm. If not wholeheartedly, at least by degrees Hence, there's multiple degrees of glory is people will exclude themselves by degrees. They, they'll want to be close, but not that close to God. Right. Like God, me, they'll, God will give them as much glory as they'll accept. Yes. Yeah. Give me Jesus, but I don't want Father. Or give me the Holy Ghost, but I don't want Jesus or the Father. Or give me nothing. I hate you all. So there's a reason that there's different groups, but, but everyone has the potential to be at the top. Like nobody is, what's the Denied. word? Yeah, predestined to to be excluded from that. We exclude ourselves. And so, yeah, I I mean, I've heard those same arguments. I've heard those same ideas. I believed them for a time myself. But the more I remembered of what happened before, the more courage I had to face them here again. And that is, I'm not exempt from anything Father has declared and again, yeah. I, I can be just as powerful as him or I can be something less, but that will mm. be my choice. And not because the system's flawed, right, not because right. his plan is flawed. Yeah. What? Uh, let's go to some practical areas now. Um, sure. two, two areas. First, for someone uh, who identifies as gay, experiences same-sex attraction, who's thinking about going on a mission. Uh-huh. Uh, what can we say? You said you were really worried uh, on your second mission. You know, they they made some accommodations for you. They gave you a new companion for each transfer. Mm-hmm. You were worried. What if I'm attracted to a companion? What would you tell somebody who's sincerely thinking about going on a mission and they're concerned with that? You know, what what do you say? 
Sure. The first piece of advice I would give is mental health is more important than sexuality. Like make sure you are mentally well before you go on a mission uh, because your mission will find the cracks. So it's like, make sure that you're healthy first because any concerns I had about my sexuality or about being attracted to other people, those were only major concerns when my mental health was um, in decline. Like, that's when it was hardest, I guess I should say. Um, so that'd be my first piece of advice is make sure that you're healthy first so that you can kind of confront and face those things. Another piece yeah, of advice. I was going to ask you about that a little more because what I noticed is sometimes I would have attractions to other missionaries or something, but, but if I was in a good place, they faded. I don't know if that happened to you, but but if I was feeling isolated or criticized or like I was failing in some significant way, then those would get more intense. So I saw the attractions would come and go, not necessarily with the physical beauty of the people around me, so much as what was going inside me. Yep. And then there was one other scenario. So the, yes, that occurred most often. But then there was one scenario, which I, I think you referred to in the book where I had a good companion. Uh, I liked him. He was a good person. He worked hard. We worked well together. And it was just like, whoa, everything's going really well. And and he's attractive on top of all that. So it was like, whoa, this is like new territory. Like, I'm good. He's good. We're good. Like, now there are feelings coming up because of that. So again, second piece of advice would just be like, know yourself. Like, be aware of yourself and what's and 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 speak up like i called my mission president as soon as i had that realization and was just like what do i do like what do we do in this situation like mm-hmm. um i have a good companion and he's really attractive and like i don't want to be bothered with these thoughts i've got the work to do like i don't i don't care for this but like but it's still there and and that's when like he and i kind of came to the conclusion after a conversation or two of just how about I just have a new companion every transfer? And that was something that worked well for me because then it was just like, oh, I can do six weeks with somebody. Like, that's fine. Like, that wasn't a problem. But I don't know. Like, that, I don't I don't think that that should be for, for everybody. everybody. Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't care to prescribe that for everybody, but it helped me. Um, so, yeah, it's just it was just funny. Like, first off, yes, when mental health was bad, it was hard. It was always harder when mental health was bad. But also, like, I had a one experience where everything was good and that's why it was like whoa what is this a new feeling interesting uh so let's flip it around because i had another friend of mine reach out to me just this week uh, preston and his good buddy uh this friend also experienced same sex attraction but his buddy is getting called on a mission he thinks and so he said what advice should i give my mission president friend my future mission president friend if he has a missionary to identify as gay or experience same-sex attraction. How should he handle them? What would you say to President F or whoever else that, that's going to have some more of these missionaries? Uh, that's a hard one because, again, I don't, I don't want to prescribe. Yeah, I don't know what to tell them either. But, <laughs> but generally, it would be it's not about their sexuality. It's about their faith. It's about their obedience. It's about their character. Like, Yes, they're gay, but but honestly, so what? Like, that's only a problem when it's a problem. So, like, when it's not a problem, it really just comes down to: Are they a good person? Like, are they? Can you trust them to obey the rules? And can you trust them to do the work that's required of them as a missionary? Like, 
to me, it's kind of like that's secondary unless it, again, like the situations we were just talking about where it's like they're maybe attracted to their companion. Well, then then you just transfer them. Like, then if, I don't know. Like, to me, it's like, well, then just move. Like, that's fine. Um, well, and you know, it strikes me as you're talking, Preston, just about everything you said, except about switching companions, applies to marriage. If mm-hmm. If a woman, right, so... We talked about your, you recently got married and maybe mm-hmm. we'll transition to that here talking about that now, cause it's not much in the book, but if, if someone's considering a relationship, you know, if a woman's considering a relationship with a man who experienced the same sex attraction or a man's experience, uh, considering a relationship with a woman who experienced the same sex attraction, should they do it? Shouldn't they do it? Well, what you just said about the mission president applies. Yeah. Right. What's their character? What are they like? And all those things are actually going to matter. What's their what are their behavioral standards? Are they honest? Are they uh, what's their track record with with their being able to keep their covenants? Mm-hmm. All those things are actually, I think, more important than more sexuality. Important. Not because that we should ignore it, but of course, ahead. but just the implications of those other things. Like, again, if you're a good, faithful person, if there's an issue with the sexuality, we can work it out because you're a good, faithful like we have that foundation to work off of. So, and I think the only reason there's a difference between this metaphor of missionary work and marriage is because in a marriage, that's where you get to explore all those sexual feelings. Like that's right. It's not doing that with your mission companion. That's so right. that's yeah, right. like, that's why um, in a marriage relationship, it can actually be kind of fun. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so um obviously um you know there's many people who want to be married who aren't and there's many people who uh, aren't maybe ready for marriage yet mm-hmm. um but how how did you um can you talk about your process i remember on your own podcast which you have by the way everybody could listen to it it's called sit down with sky and preston mm-hmm. you and sky you talked a little bit about how these feelings developed from friendship to something more. Mm-hmm. Is it okay just to marry someone you're friends with? Why but you, are you seriously sitting here telling me you're attracted to your wife? What are you, what are you trying to, cause you're gay. Yeah. So, so explain. Um, okay. So I feel like some underlying principles here. Cause again, knowledge was empowering here. It set me free in a lot of right. ways. Knowledge so- and then choosing to believe. Well, and that is like one of the main principles is choosing something here. Like I remember in courtship with my wife, Taryn, I was like, I choose you. And she was like, that's not romantic. Like (laughs) you're supposed to say, I love you and I'm, you're ravishing. And like, it was just like, I choose you. And it took her a while to be like, wait a minute, that's superior. That will last longer than I want to rip your clothes off because you're so hot. Like what a silly thing to base an eternal relationship on. And so in, in courtship, we had a lot of really good conversations about what do we need? What do we want? Like, and so many times it was like, look, we will walk away if this is not going to work, if we cannot meet each other's needs. Um, But over the course of months of us having these hard conversations, we both concluded no, we, we can offer all of what we need and then some to each other. And again, we're already friends. So like, let's go. Like, it's just, it's been fun. It was fun doing all of that together anyway. So yeah, you have to choose. You have to choose a lot of things. One thing that helped too, 
I had a really, really good counselor years ago that I, I was frustrated with all these um, like attractions that I was having to other men. And I was just um, pretty negative about it. And he was, he helped me learn to like redirect those thoughts and feelings and so it wasn't just like wow that guy's really hot and then like you go down this lusty yeah a lust spiral down yeah objectification yeah yeah instead it was wow that guy's really attractive and all these feelings that it's evoking in me i will explore these feelings with my wife someday and so it was a redirection to something righteous and good and so the last six months have been the best payoff of all of that work and effort for years of redirecting those thoughts of like, wow, like that guy's really attractive, but I can't wait to explore these feelings with my wife because she's the person I, I am covenant bound to explore them with and nobody else. And so many times in the last six months, Tara and I have been just like so grateful and like have relished in like, we're the only person we get to explore this with and it's been so fun and beautiful but i don't know i'm rambling no no just, i think it's really that. key but it's a payoff like it, it's taken a lot of work beforehand but it was worth all the effort and again like we've talked about this before but holistically be a good person and marriage will be much easier in those circumstances so like if you want to get married but aren't yet ready for it or aren't there yet, that's fine. Work on yourself. Make friends with people. Make good relations with other people. Develop your character in Jesus Christ. Stay close to Christ. And the opportunities will present themselves. Like I've dated a lot of women over the years. And um, <clears throat> hopefully none of them are listening because I would call I would go home. I would go home and I'd call my mom and be like, they're not Taryn. Like I don't want this person. I want Taryn. Because like, she was such a good friend for years. And we just had that relationship and that safety with each other that yeah. Yeah. So what what about what made it so that you you wanted to marry uh, Taryn, or at least maybe you didn't even know you wanted to marry her, but, but there is a difference between being friends with somebody and pursuing, you call it courtship. Yeah. Well, because courtship in my mind is dating with the intention of preparing for a marriage. It's like this last year, it was not dating. It was courtship. We were like, we're not, cause we, we dated before we dated like four, four, five years ago and it didn't work out. We were just trying to force it. It was not the right time but this time around last year it was it felt very intentional it's like are we going to do this okay let's say yes so given that yes what do we need to do to get ready for it Mm -hmm. and at any point we can walk away like no hard feelings again we're exploring to see if this is going to be a viable option but kept getting green light green light green light and so it was like cool let's keep going and uh it's been, again, good because of all this building. Like We felt like we were building a relationship together, like building a life together and all these conversations and whatnot. So, mm. yeah. Uh, I, I want to come back to something in the book because I think it points to something really important for all of us. Um, mm-hmm. You talked about this time on your mission when you were simultaneously joyful and depressed. You said... Mm-hmm. I felt yep. joy in my depression. It was the strangest combination. Yep. Uh, I, 
if if anybody out there has experienced that, they know exactly what you're talking about. If they haven't, they're going, "What the heck? That makes no <laughs> sense." Uh, but but here's what I think it points to: that something important. We are not our feelings, Mm-mm. right? We can say, "Oh, because I experienced depression, I am depressed person." Because mm-hmm. I experience anxiety, I am an anxious person. One of the things about mindfulness. You know, or President Nelson recently warned us about our our key identities and going outside of those key identities. And sometimes we will over identify with feelings. Mm-hmm. And I think what that kind of paradox, you know, joy and depression mm-hmm. points to is there is something more eternal, something more timeless than something you're experiencing or feeling. Mm-hmm. I love the word transcendent because you get these two conflicting ideas and in that space, it creates a spark of some transcendent idea or experience. And you really can only encounter them in that paradox or in that pairing of ideas or experiences. That's when you find something much, much more powerful. Yeah. Uh, one other thing you mentioned that I wanted to highlight because, uh, it's important. You mentioned how, when you were on your spiritual recovery, you started to notice there were certain TV shows, certain music, certain things mm-hmm. that were incongruent with this journey of reconciliation, coming closer to Christ. Mm-hmm. I sometimes feel like, and I do this too, I'm guilty. I'm not pointing any fingers at anybody, but me, but there are certain shows uh, that uh, are very popular. They're very well done. That's the whole point. Mm-hmm. They're really good. I mean, if they sucked, nobody would want to watch them. Uh, <laughs> that we shouldn't be indulging in, really. Mm-hmm. Uh, and but we we are arrogant. The arrogance is, oh, I'm not influenced by that. Yeah. Or oh, that's not going to do it. But I I would have people talk to me, you know, sometimes when certain shows would be out. Oh yeah, I saw this show and it made me want to have a boyfriend so bad. Or uh, I'm like, yeah. So why are you watching it? Yeah. That is the, the nature of the art. It is to manipulate you. Like uh, sometimes it's harmless. Like it's just for entertainment, but by right. like definition, it's meant to manipulate your feelings and thoughts. Like mm-hmm. it's what it's for. So sometimes it's for good. But yeah, unfortunately, the, the yeah, as a whole, the whole streaming media—they're a hot mess now. Like, yeah, they just they love even to pretend, push the envelope. They don't even pretend to be good anymore. So, yeah. mean, meaning moral. Yeah. yeah, they love to. Again, the quality the is the great, but the yeah. morality is. I remember I saw a movie recently, and we walked out of the theater, and I was like, "There was not one person worth rooting for in that story." Like. Mm-hmm. They were yes. all dabbling in immorality. Like, there's no more heroes. There's no right. more. I, I didn't want to root for anybody. Nobody stood for anything. Yeah. Like, ah, like, and that's just yeah. co- becoming more and more common now. Yeah. There's, there's and they no want to destroy our belief in goodness, right? Nobody's really good. They're Nobody's all really just good. All time. Right. It all becomes very Bohemian. Uh, just the yeah. strongest person wins. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there's this quote from your book. However, what we want isn't always what's best for us, our family, or the people around us. Instead of asking what you want, ask what will make you your best self. That's certainly what God wants. I love that. And then you go on and ask, 
just hypothetically, right, if I do this, if I pursue same-sex relationships, same-sex dating, and find out that it wasn't right, can't I just not fix it then? Can't I repent? What was your answer to that question? So this was in a conversation with a friend, yeah. and, and we, we spent a little bit of time. We read a few scriptures um, and referenced a few conference talks, just talking about how it's better to not sin. <laughs> um, there is a scriptural phenomenon or principle or doctrine that it's better to have not sinned. Can you learn from sin? Yes. Can you repent from sin? Yes. Can you get back the time you wasted sinning? No. And so it's better to not do it in the first place. Yeah. God can restore everything but your time. And there are certain consequences that like, while you'll be clean because you repented, there are consequences that you won't be able to, to fix so easily and quickly, like yeah. damaged relationships and whatnot. Like, Yes, Christ can help heal you, but healing relationships involving other people, that will take a long time, if at all. So it's, just, it's better not to sin in the first place. Yeah, I think I, I want to add my witness to yours. Um, because before I was married to Tanya, I was, I was fairly miserable at times and fairly frustrated and fairly angry at God because here I'm trying to do the right thing and I can't find mm -hmm. anyone of the opposite sex. And meanwhile, there's some pretty good guys mm -hmm. uh, that uh, presented themselves as opportunities there. And I did have two friends I talked to at this time. I'm like, well, why don't I just have sex with those guys? I mean, it's not like I'm could be any more miserable, I said. Mm -hmm. And they said, oh, Jeff, you have no idea. You have grown up around the spirit. Believe me, it you can feel worse than you feel now. Yes, you are not very happy right now, but you could have worse. And each of them, Preston, begged me not to. Good. Both of them had been there and done that. I said, yeah. but you've done it. You've repented. You've come back. And they're like, yes, but it is hard. You yeah. can. The repentance is real, but it is hard. And if I could spare you that pain, Jeff, I would. And so please don't. I'm so grateful I had friends that did not just say, Oh, you do what you want, and I'm gonna love you no matter what. Well, you they do would you. have that's true. Yeah, you do you. You be you, you follow your path that's best for you. They would have loved me, it's true. Of course. Uh, Relevant. <laughs> I'm trying to spare you pain. <laughs> yes. But I am so grateful that they pleaded with me, and I'm grateful I listened to them. Mm -hmm. Uh and I go back to what you said. Some things are hard to repair. Christ can do a lot. I'm gonna go back to Alma the younger. Mm -hmm. I mean, was there a more gifted missionary ever? Well, because right? he, he used to be an unbeliever. Yeah, he knew yes. exactly how to teach uh -huh. to them because he used to be one of them. Right. He was so good with, I mean, all almost all of the, almost all the poetry in the Book of Mormon is from Alma, right? Mm -hmm. And so many of these literary works and all this stuff, he was just so, so creative and gifted with the word, which he used for evil before mm -hmm. he converted. But I think what always grieved Alma is even though he came back, I think there's people he led away that did not. It, it even oh, says well, that. He talks about yeah, it. Yeah, he talks about how he he felt like murdered. he murdered their souls and some mm -hmm. of them did not come back. And that's what I mean. Like you, you can't control that. It's better to not cause the harm mm -hmm. in the first place. Like, And anybody listening, let me just tell you, you can talk all you want about, oh, it was consenting adults and they chose this to do this with me. And that's all true. But when we're, you're there 
with Christ repenting of your choices and your decisions, your, yes, they chose their part, but your part that you had in influencing them for evil and for turning away from the good, that is still harrowing to your soul. Your yeah. part in leading them astray, uh, I know from personal experience, that was tough. Harder than the things I did to myself were the influence, the negative influence I had on others. Because mm -hmm. God said to me, and maybe other people are different, maybe they're less expected or whatever, but God said to me, no, I put you, I gave you my priesthood. And I give you this testimony and I give you this witness and I give you all these prophets and all these influences so that you could be an influence for good, not to pull people down. And that was some bitter nights uh, when I had to, and, and I, you know, I, I kept my tumble recommend and I, I, I didn't, you know, do anything really serious in in certain ways you could say right i i'd never had sex with a man i i still haven't and yet what i did do that was bad enough mm -hmm. to have to repent of uh and so uh i just uh i totally agree with your friend i totally agree with you and yes you can repent i don't want anybody to be discouraged but it is better to not yep it's not worth it sin is stupid every time <laughs> yeah Oh, sure I do. <laughs> She's like, <laughs> not worth it ever. Yeah. And however beautiful or hot that person is that you're tempted to be with, your resurrected body is going to be so much more glorious. <laughs> there is no mortal, pick the movie star, photoshopped to the gills, whatever. Uh, they, they do not hold a candle, literally, to the glory that you will hold as a celestialized being. Mm-hmm. Preach, Jeff. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> this is supposed to be about you, though. I shouldn't preach. No, the, going. are you kidding me? Heck yeah. <laughs> you're more gathered in his name. There's the spirit. Yep. Preach. Uh, so, yeah, you said choosing to sin now will just bring more confusion into your life. Mm -hmm. So back again to that point of there's no promise of understanding in disobedience. If you right. that, Does that help you figure it out? Right. Oh, if I do this, it'll help me figure out what I yeah, want. Then, then I'll know. It's like, uh-huh, no. Because like you were saying before too, if you're not living it, it makes less and less sense. Mm -hmm. And again, that's why it's a slippery slope. It's not worth it. Not worth well, it. And right. I think we should also be um, too many times these days. Well, the spirit told me to. I want, I love what you said, Preston, but what spirit? Which spirit is telling you this? Because you're right. There is probably a spirit telling you to do something, mm -hmm. but which spirit is telling you? Because God will never tell you to go sin. Yep. He will never lead you down a path that is not on the covenant path, not on his path. So if you are straying and you still say you felt the spirit, whose spirit is that? Because it's Agreed. definitely not God's. Yep. Joseph Smith taught about that in DNC, I think it was 50, right? Where he talks about. There are spirits all around and they are all trying to influence right. us. Make That's sure right. you learn which spirit to listen to. And sometimes yeah. people will tell me, oh, I've never felt more spiritual. And in, in one sense of the word, I believe it because um, there's relief. And we can confuse relief for spirituality for, uh, because when we're not struggling, when we're not fighting and we're not all caught up in the guilt and shame and all that stuff, 
sometimes we do feel more connected to ourselves and our spirits because we haven't layered all this anguish on top of it. Mm -hmm. But it can be really, it is really short lived in my experience. Mm -hmm. The other thing we confuse is once we repent, God can turn that sin to our good and the good of others. And I want to come back to that because that's where I want to wind up here. Mm -hmm. uh, but we get confused. We say, oh, that means I should have sinned. No, that's just the atonement working backwards in time, backwards into your life to turn a terrible thing into a good thing. That's the miracle of the atonement. Not That's not saying, oh, you should have sinned. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and sometimes we, we look at it backwards that way and we miss that. Yep. Um, so back to why, right? So many of us wonder why. And the first thing I'd say there is, you know, when I was young and before I went on my mission, I wanted to know everything that would happen to me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> You're, aren't you grateful you didn't know everything that would happen to you, Preston, um, <laughs> beforehand? I, I had a very clear impression once. I was praying to see the next phase of my life. Mm -hmm. And I was very clearly told by the Spirit, stop asking because you wouldn't believe me. Hmm. Like, I don't think I would have believed him if he told me some of these things were coming up in my yeah. life. And I kind of had to be put in my place of like, you're asking a bad question. Ask something else. Yeah. You wouldn't we just believe have me. To, we just have to trust. And maybe what we should pray for instead is just help us be prepared mm -hmm. for what's coming yep. uh, so that we can, we can continue to do this. So the, all these, these things happen to you. Why? You answer the question in the book, but for people, this may be too much of a spoiler, but what... What was your answer there? Um, I'm like, shoot, what did I write? <laughs> I'm like, wait, what did I write? You, I mean, you were I supposed to bring problem. light to others, right? Oh, yeah, you were supposed like, to bring the light to those who've suffered similar things. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, that's where my mind went. I was like, I don't know if I wrote <laughs> yeah. this or not, but um, my thought is like, turn around and use it to help people going through something similar. Like, yeah, that was always the thing that got me through it was turn around, there's people behind you that now need your help. Like, yeah. And my patriarchal blessing even says that, that I was, I was born now because now would be a time when I could have the most positive influence on the people around me. And it specifically even referenced technology because of technology. So it was like, interesting. Yeah. And I'm like, look at all these podcasts I'm doing now. I'm like, I never would have done podcasts unless God asked them to. <laughs> so, but it's just, yeah, it was to, to help, to turn around and help people. And that's the thing that, you know, it's hard, it's hard to say that that hell you went through could ever be worth anything. But if you could look at the people who you've inspired and blessed and helped lead back, maybe you would say, well, and you know what? It would have been worth it for one. I'm into the hundreds now that I've heard back wow. from. So it's like awesome. it, one would have been worth it. And we're way past that. Again, like those wells run over. They they overflow in time. And like, yeah, one, I would have been satisfied with one. Help one. I've been so blessed over the last decade for it to be more than just one that needed this help it was worth it and and i i'm so grateful for what mother eve said like she said it best it's better for us to pass through sorrow that we can know good from evil and learn about christ and like you have to pass through sorrow to learn these things and you've consecrated your your affliction has been consecrated not just to your mm -hmm. gain but to others 
Yep. I love that Jesus says in Luke, give and it shall be given unto you. A good measure pressed down, shaking together and running over will be poured into your lap. That's poured into your bosom, it says in the King James. That's what you're just describing. Yeah. This, this, ter- this look at the miracle that we can just give glory to God and Christ and, and his miracle working where this horrible thing, right? This horrible thing has turned into this fountain of joy. It's what Christ life. did with the worst experience of his life. Right. And I'm just copying him. He did it yes. first. He told me to copy him. So he did it with yours. Was, He's doing well, it with mine it with and healthy. anybody. Yeah. That is the atonement. You think about the atonement was the worst experience ever. (laughs) That's true. And it turned him into a a savior. It turned him into a redeemer. It gave him the power to turn around and say, I feel that too. I'm sorry. Like, let me help. Mm -hmm. And we're expected to do the same thing on a much more microscopic level in our little spheres of influence. So, yes. Well, I just, whatever, whoever's listening this is happening or will happen to you too. Uh, and I just, um, you, you know, my heart broke for Preston when, you know, you talk about how you couldn't feel God's love. There was long periods in this story of yours where you could not feel it. You were incapable of feeling it. And I tell you, I, I will sometimes, I'm meeting with clients or I'll meet with friends and I will come home and weep because people are angry at God or they're hurt by God. And Mm -hmm. I just say, Heavenly Father, they don't know your heart. They don't know your heart. Uh, Heavenly Father's heart is good. Mm -hmm. And Heavenly Father loves us. And he he sent his son to help us come back to him. And if you listening can't believe that right now, believe me and believe Preston and believe Tanya. Yeah. Because God is good. And he does love you. Do you have anything to add? Just one last experience. I don't believe I put this in the book, but it, it happened while I was teaching at the MTC. Um, mm-hmm. I, I was sitting in a training meeting with other teachers at the MTC. So I, I've already done both of my missions at this point. I'm feeling pretty good. Like I'm mostly healed from the PTSD of my first mission. It's not as much of a bother as it, as it had been in the past. But I'm sitting in this training meeting and yet a trigger came up that I wasn't expecting. Mm-hmm. My, my boss said, he was like, uh, he was like his closing remarks. And he was like, I, God has called these missionaries to be on these missions. Like he will not abandon them. And immediately I was like, mm-hmm. but he did, but he did mm-hmm. to me. And it was just like, whoa, wait a minute. And like immediately I was like, Heavenly Father, I don't want to believe that anymore. Like I'm, I, I know that can't be true. So like, I'm ready to believe something else. Like, where were you? Like, where, where were you in the room? And had just this beautiful spiritual experience where we've, it's pretty cool when you're having revelation, a lot can happen really fast. Like we went rapid fire through several experiences of the last decade. And he showed me where he was in the room moments when I was screaming, feeling like I was alone didn't feel anything could see where he was in the room and it and it's just to your point that you just made though jeff it's like i didn't know him well enough to see him at the time but like i have that knowledge now so now when i don't feel him i still know he's there and again that's where belief is much more powerful than a knowledge, knowledge. Or a feeling. it's 
I know, I know he's in the room now. So it's just a matter of, of uh, what's the word like capitalizing on that promise. I don't know if that's the right word. Call, calling upon that promise. Of, mm-hmm. He's there. And there've been so many times since then that I've been at church or at work or whatever, but I've just been like, you promised you'd be here. Like, I know you're here. I believe that even though I can't feel it. And yeah, because I know him better now. Like I, I know that that's his character. He would be there. He would not pass up the opportunity to be there in our worst moments. That's not the type of person he is. He, he was there. Even if I was too frantic to notice or too ignorant to notice. So just hold out. The more you learn about him, the more you'll, you'll heal again. Like he's very thorough and retroactive as you pointed out. Like he will, he yeah. will reach every little corner. Yeah. I don't know. I, yeah. Sorry. I don't know how to like That's wrap that up, but it's just. No, that's it. And he'll keep working on us. And, and it doesn't mean that, you know, you probably still get some triggers. You probably oh, yeah. still experience anxiety and depression at times. And that's, that's okay too. Yeah. Yeah. And I just, I feel more equipped for it now. Like, right. yes, it can return with similar intensity, but I'm not the same per. I'm still me, but I'm better. And I'm not the same. I'm not the same. I'm something more now. And so that's because of him. So I don't know. It's like, it's weird. Cause it's different. Like it affects me differently now. Yeah. But that's the point, right? Like we're supposed mm-hmm. to be getting more, better, bigger, the goal to be our best. So. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Preston, for this wonderful time. Uh, we really appreciate it. And uh, everybody, you'll, your time will be well spent reading his book. Uh, you can listen to him more with his buddy Sky on the Sit Down with Sky in Austin. But for now, this is the North Star Voice of Hope podcast. Thanks, everybody, for joining us. Thank you.